You're listening to Splendid Chaps. Welcome back for the last time to our spin-off mini-series. In part four, we get to your questions, fleetingly mention some more obscure spin-offs and reach our musical finale. You'll never guess who it is. Or will you? We were talking about spin-offs in general. Now we're going to talk about more about uh, all of the, the Doctor Who spin-offs, compare them to each other, compare and contrast. Joy me. what's your thought? You had a thought on spin-offs in general. Well, I mean... When you look at a lot of early spin-offs, they are usually worked around a character. A character from one show goes off and has their own show. Um, and, you know, the Doctor Who spin-offs are very interesting that way because, yes, you do get that with Captain Jack, you get that with Sarah Jane. Class? No. No, it doesn't work to that, that logic at all. Um, and there's more this trend now to look at world-building instead. Like, don't... If you were pitching something today, you would not call it Doctor Who because you don't want to pitch a character. So screenwriters are saying, if they're doing anything in sci-fi or fantasy, you pitch a world because you want to show that if it gets popular that you can do the spin-offs. You kind of, like, organise this idea around having the spin-offs already in place, if you like. Um, and Doctor Who, because they've kind of done those spin-offs afterwards... It's called Doctor Who, but really it's the Whoverse, isn't it, that, that is the centre of, of those, those spin-offs and that world-building. You, yes, you, the Doctor might make an appearance, but it's more likely to be the villains who make an appearance, really, rather than that central linchpin character. And it's not really... It's not a new thing, is it, though, this kind of shared universe world-building thing? It's a really old tradition, like, much older than we think of when we think of, you know, say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, absolutely. It predates TV, it predates comic books. So if you, say, take Heracles, who most of us know as Hercules, the Greek hero, um, you have these really old stories, but he gets prequels, sequels, midquels. So the Twelve Labours, we always think of Hercules and Twelve Labours, that's later. That comes like 300 years after Whoa. we get any mention that he had a labour. It starts off as a labour. You know, a hundred years later it becomes five labours. Three hundred years later it becomes twelve labours. You just want to just kind of, let's just pad out those labours and make them as great as possible. <laughs> and then it becomes a TV show called The 500 Labours of that, Hercules. That's right, that's right. And to begin with, we've got no idea what he did was a kid. Well, OK, let's go back. We'll have a birth story, an origin story. So they were doing this kind of padding out of these universe, like, way, way back. And you even had, like, the Amazons were um, sort of a nemesis of Greek heroes. Well, let's have the Amazons fight Achilles, let's have them fight Theseus, let's have them fight Heracles, let's just have them fight everybody. <laughs> is, there a, is, there, I mean, is there a worry then that the spin-offs can dilute the original product? Like, yeah, especially if we go back to, like, the Hooniverse, like, does it become lesser for, for those things? Well, I know that the BBC didn't want to pick up K9 as a concept because they thought it was... The, the Whoverse was becoming too diluted, that it that was extending itself too far. Um, and it, I think it depends also, you know, what kind of writing teams and producers you have on board. If they're working across too many projects, mm -hmm. then I think you are going to get diluted product. Um, so, yeah, it's you a... You also have the problem of perhaps oversaturating the market. Mm. And, and we have actually much. mentioned K9 too, which we should mention, because of course that was filmed mm. in Australia. That's, that's the, the most local of the product. But that was the weird thing where it was a... It like wasn't a, a BBC production, so that brings me to the point that I wanted to make. You've got, <laughs> you've got your BBC um, spin-offs from Doctor Who, but then you've got your non-BBC spin-offs to Doctor Who, which are still licensed, 
by the individual writers who created the individual things that are being used in the spin-off without actually having any um, reference to actual Doctor Who because they can't actually say, you know, the Doctor or anything like that, refer to those characters because they don't have the licence to use that because that would be a lot more expensive. It's the proverbial um, filing the serial numbers which off. Is, which is why with the... If, have any of you seen the K-9 series? Yeah. You'll notice that K-9 got a radical redesign. And that's because, you know, they could get... You know, Bob Baker had the rights to the character of K-9, but the BBC had the rights to the design of K-9. So they paid the BBC to use the design of K-9 in episode one. Then they changed it. For about, for about you know, 60 seconds before he explodes. Uh, and, and, and regenerates. And regenerates. <laughs> into a flying dog with it, flexible ears. K-9 does have an interesting thing at the show because it's constantly right up against the edge of how much it can mention Doctor Who. Like, it keeps trying to nod towards yep. Doctor Who without... Actually, Actually, yes. The, the place it. they work yes. in, like the base for the adventures, is a disused police station. Like, <laughs> so it's got a blue light outside the front door. <laughs> like, that's not an accident. Um, yeah. I thought it was really interesting, though, that when they regenerate K9 so he can fly, um, he's now got legs. I'm like, he doesn't, he well, he doesn't need legs now because he can fly, but you've given him front legs. It was really but, weird. But they don't actually wings. do anything. <laughs> yeah, they don't just, do anything. Like, they're just there. But on that extended universe, though, you had an opinion about class, George. Um, yes, uh, I think uh, class is very much hampered by being part of the Doctor Who universe. I think whereas, say, something like Sarah Jane actually thrives on it and does really well with its integration with the whole Doctor Who universe. A class, I think, is problematic. Class basically has very little to do with the Doctor Who universe except its bookends, episode, the first episode and the last episode. So the first episode, I think, it's very pro- problematic because the Doctor just shows up and fixes everything and then says, well, I'm not coming back and you're on your own from yeah, now on. I, I agree. I so, think this massive problem because the doctor basically goes, terrible things will happen here. You look after that high school students. Bye. Because yeah, I don't care. It's, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a thing that's clearly, like we were saying before, it, it is built into Doctor Who. The doctor can't be everywhere. But this brings it up overtly in a way that you're not meant to be thinking about. Quill's got his phone number, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and look, it, they don't even mention it. They do mention him, like, before the last episode, but they don't mention him until, like, episode six, and it's, like, just a one-off, like, mention. It's like, I oh, look, the Doctor said, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was here once. <laughs> you know, if, if Quill called and said, you know, the world is about to end... You think he's not going to come? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I feel that the show could have been stronger mm. if it had been perhaps slightly braver in a way to be yeah. more removed. Because I think where the show is at its strongest is where it has nothing to do with Doctor Who. Yeah, that's, I think that's um, fair. The, the episodes that are in between. Which brings me to the end bit. Spoilers here. But the end bit then bookends it with Doctor Who with the, with the, the, the Weeping Angels showing up, which I also have a massive problem with because I think the Weeping Angels are the classic example of the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Brilliant in their first episode, then every subsequent episode they're watered down and made less interesting and made less scary and the last thing they need is to be the big bad in another television show. It's kind of like Aliens. It is interesting that idea that it is a spin-off that comes from a location, like like you were saying before, Joby. It's not coming from a character; it's coming from a place, yeah. yeah. Which is closer than I guess to like your, your CSIs or your, your something else, where it's more a kind of concept. 
And see, that, the concept could have worked without being related to Doctor Who. They could have just picked any school and they could have found some reason to have a space-time rift there mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. mention of the Doctor. I, I, you know, I kind of would like it if they'd just taken the, the Doctor out of it, like if he hadn't shown up, if he wasn't the reason they were there, but still yep. kept it connected to the rest of the universe because it, I've always... Kind of kept it only vaguely connected. Yeah, because yeah. I find that really interesting. Like here we've set up this universe yep. where there's this one guy who keeps turning up and like, and you know, so far only a guy, cross fingers, um, but he, you know, he comes, keeps coming back and saving this world but establishing that there's all these aliens and weird things that can happen and sometimes they're really awful and, and that clearly happens a lot what happens when he's not there. And there's always these hints about that in some Doctor Who stories. Mm. But no one's ever really explored that, I think. And, and that's why I think Sarah Jane works really well because, like, presumably she does have some way to contact him if she really wanted to try um, or could. But it's like, oh, we'll just get on with it. Like, you know, I can handle this. Well, there is that great speech in Children of Earth or in Torchwood that, that Gwen gets about, you know, sometimes he doesn't show up. She gets that oh, yeah. fantastic piece in, I think, episode five. Oh, yeah. I just want to say one thing, though. Perhaps we are being unfair, though, also, that the whole point about spin-offs too, is there's a financial element to this, a production element, that it is obviously cheaper to use a Slovene, for example, you know, to have them show up in Sarah Jane Adventures because you have those costumes already. Yes. You know, um, you have your Weeping Angels, you have, you know, a lot of these... But the, the, the simple character of Sarah Jane, like, grounds it in, in the Doctor Who universe, I think, and I think we're coming back here to the whole character versus location. But despite that, despite its constant crossover with Doctor Who villains that because they've got the costumes lying around, it also very much establishes itself. I have a quote... I brought along a quote from the pilot episode of Sarah Jane when um, she's outside the factory and then there's that that big, you know, dramatic moment and she says, um, oh, come on, Doctor, help me. And then she pauses and you can see her think and then she goes, no. And then she tells herself, think, and then she goes off and solves it. Mm -hmm. So there's not that reliance on, on the Doctor. It's kind of like she's saying, we're our own show, we're going to solve things without the Doctor. So maybe it would have been more interesting if Quill had phoned and he's busy when he phoned. Because, well, yeah. I mean, he is. He is busy doing other stuff. Yeah. Whether it just gets, you know, a busy tone or because he says, right, just in the middle of saving another planet at the moment, just sort it out and hangs up. But almost like, I think, yeah, just don't bring it up because it always feels like by bringing it yeah. up you then lead to too many... Yeah, but it's a commercial thing. I mean, they, they are selling it as a pre-sold element, you know, like the, the, the whole point that the show like Cast gets up is because you're saying, look, there are Who fans out there, that's the basis it gets sold. So it's kind of like, you know, it is a little bit script writing by numbers, but but I think, you know, there's probably an expectation that you've got to flag the, the reason why you've got this show. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and even if it's kind of mechanical, because it does feel very mechanical. Here's a doctor. Oh, yes, hi. Yes, I'll help now. And yes, bye. Sort it out. Um, but I think that's more commercial than, like, script writing as such. It is interesting because you were saying how, because with class it is those two elements... Uh, as opposed to Sarah Jane Adventure, it is, it is throughout, you know, almost like a, like a stick of Blackpool rock. There's, you know, there's constant referencing. There are characters that show up. There's, you know, mentioned to Harry. Like, there is a sense that for Sarah Jane, this is her personal lived experience. Like, there is a, a history to her which involves the Doctor. Mm. Whereas maybe with Cole Hill, it feels a little bit like it's been sort of fudged in there. Yeah. I, I think there's also an element, like, with, with Sarah Jane Adventure's it's closer to the Doctor Who target audience. So perhaps that connection with Doctor Who um, 
kind of feels more organic almost because the same audience who watch Doctor Who can watch Sarah Jane. Whereas with Class and Torchwood, you're going into a more adult area. Mm -hmm. And I know when Torchwood first came out, there were a lot of shocked parents who sat down to watch that <laughs> show with their with their kids. Yeah. And all, all of a sudden, you know, you had blood and guts everywhere, people swearing and having sex. I was told so, earlier that know, apparently Russell T Davies actually put a swear word in the first five minutes of Torchwood because he wanted you to be aware that this mm -hmm. was not, you know, for kids. But, but that's not what adult means, according to him. <laughs> <laughs> but also in the, in the marketing, I mean, it's interesting because usually the whole logic of having a spin-off is that you want your audience to come from your previous show into your new show. Torchwood was really interesting that way because he's saying, well, no, we want some of you to come yeah, over, but yeah. we want the rest of you to stay where you are and don't interrupt your parents while they're watching the grown-up stuff. Well, so it was quite, like, that's quite an odd thing to do from an industry point of view. But that's true for all of them, though, isn't it? Because all the three we were talking about all were basically saying, some of the audience, please come with us. Like, yeah. which is kind of, yeah, that's an intriguing thing to say. We would like a smaller audience to watch this show. <laughs> well, it's really hard to capture an audience that has been built up over 50 years in a new show, though. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's one of the other problems that Doctor Who spin-offs have is Doctor Who's this weird show that we've, you know, spent a, long, a lot of time talking about because <laughs> there's so much of it. It's been so many things and it's developed into a thing that really can't be divorced from that really long and complicated history. And then you do a spin-off. It's like, here's a new thing. How much of this immense beast that we've got from 50 years do we put into it? It's also the history of broadcasting, though. It's just good to me because Doctor Who came out of a period in which everyone watched the same television. Mm. You know, there was a limited amount of choices and a family would watch a thing together. That's not how television is consumed now. Yeah. So it's interesting the idea that maybe it makes sense to go, let's try and find specific audiences who will watch our specific show. Mm. Uh, Class, of course, didn't even... Uh, it didn't go on air. Like, in, in England, it was released digitally. It, it was... Uh, it was watchable on the um, uh, the, the the channel. It's, yeah, the channel it's from has basically become a digital channel due to cuts, basically, the BBC. So that's interesting the idea of, of chasing a smaller but more dedicated audience, mm. perhaps, than a larger and... Yeah, and we see that in the industry, how it goes for much more <coughs> niche sort of audiences overall. I mean, the whole kind of Netflix phenomenon is based on this idea that, that you work out what specific niches are, are looking mm. for. You don't try and get everybody, but you'd realise there's enough of an audience in those niches if you build it the right way. So does that mean we, we don't get another Doctor Who? Like, we can't have that kind of show... Not, not no. consumed in the same way, no. And we were I was talking to people in the audience about this. You know, when I was growing up, you know, you had the Doctor every night... Um, through the week, you could talk to your friends in the schoolyard about what had been happening to Doctor Who. You, you had that kind of community. And there wasn't, like, a huge choice of other things on. So there was far more likely that, that your peers were watching the same sort of thing. And that, that, that's kind of gone now. Uh, I mean, they may well be watching the same thing, but they could be watching so many other things mm -hmm. that you can't take that for granted. But, but the, I think the concept of the family show still has legs. I mean, Merlin, I think, proved that because Merlin was very much marketed as a family show, um, and that was very successful. So I think it's still possible, just not in quite the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I know, I know it's like... I don't know, the representative parent thing happening here again, but, you know, like, as, as a parent, it is very difficult to find TV shows and movies that you were all going to want to watch. Mm. So I do think that that is still... Of those niche audiences, that is still something that if you get right, you will get a good audience for. Because not many shows and movies do that yeah, well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we have a load of questions. We're going to try and go through all, all of them if we can, because they're really good. And we might paraphrase some of them as we go. But let's just start at the top. Class is the only of the three spin-offs where the protagonist didn't start in Doctor Who. Yeah, and I think this comes back to the thing I was trying to say about it, is I kind of would have liked it if none of them knew he even existed. Because that's that question we always get. It's like, what happens when the Doctor's not around? But it's always answered from the perspective of people who know that he should be around. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what if you're in the world of Doctor Who and, like, you know, the Slatheen turn up and you don't know that the Doctor is a person who does this stuff. You've just got to deal with it and just get on with it yourself. And I thought class could have been more like that if they hadn't had the Doctor, like, set up, yep. you know, um, Quill and, and Charlie on Earth and save them that first time. Yeah, And it's plausible within that context because in a school you've got new kids coming in all the time. So you could have, you know, the scenario where the older kids know about the Doctor. Oh, yeah. But but some of the younger ones have never seen him and haven't been told about him. You know, like you could have some interesting things going on. So there is plausibility that you could mm. have built that into it. Yeah. Well, maybe, who knows, maybe if there's a second season there'll be a bit more like that. On the same um, question, sort of this is a more question statement, but talking about Torchwood, the interesting thing about Torchwood is that um, I think the timeline is... It's much more... You know how there used to be comic books where Batman would move from, you know, one comic to another and back again? And Torchwood is the one series, I think, that directly intersects with mm. Doctor Who at mm. the time. Yeah. And so I was saying about the, the, the timeline between Doctor Who and the Torchwood series. So, you know, we have Jack runs off at the end of season one to rejoin the TARDIS for a few episodes and, and come back. Is that a better or a worse approach for, for a spin-off, do you think, to... It's, it's different. I mean, I think it gives you really unique opportunities. Like, for example, Buffy and Angel did this, where even when they weren't on the same network and they technically couldn't really communicate directly with each other, there's that pair of episodes where, you know, Buffy phones Angel up and then there's, in the Angel episode, he's on the phone and hangs it up. And you don't hear, you don't actually, from memory, you don't even hear the conversation. You just know that they were telling each other something important. And that was really, and it happened because the important thing happened at the same time in the timeline of both shows. But also the other characters on that show reacted to and asked, you know, what yeah. happened in that other episode that we can't obviously show scenes from, but let's talk about it so we know from the context of what happened in that other show how you're feeling now as this character here. Yeah, and, and you see it in other shows that are part of shared universes too, like the, the DC Comics TV shows, like The Flash and Arrow and League of... Um, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. So I forgot the name of that one because it's pretty terrible. Um, and uh, I love it though. I do love it though. Um, but they they happen particularly Flash and Arrow because there's um, less time travel involved. There's still lots. Um, happen at the same time, and that means that in episodes of each of those shows that air in the same week, they'll have stuff that crosses over directly. So it's I think it's different. It gives you that opportunity. Which is problematic for the viewer who only watches one of those two shows. I, I, must admit, I, I was a big fan of Buffy and I was uh, quite disappointed in this episode where Willow goes off and I think turns up an angel. And of course, I've never seen that episode and I feel slightly cheated. <laughs> well, that's at that point we're talking about, you know, whether you can be oversaturated. There's a certain point where certain viewers will go, look, you know, no, I'm only watching this. I want this to make sense on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if universes get too expanded across too many different things, it can get really annoying. Actually, Ant-Man has a scene where Ant-Man basically shows up to battle a, a guy I didn't know anything about and it's clearly only there to connect it to the, to the universe. Mm. And I just found myself really annoyed, going, I don't need this. You're wasting my time. I yeah. don't think that the Doctor Who spin-offs do this to excess. No. And it's not like you... Uh, they, when they do have that little bit of a crossover with Torchwood and Doctor Who or with Sarah Jane and Doctor Who, you don't miss out on, like, the episode of Sarah Jane where the Doctor shows up if you 
haven't watched, you know, mm-hmm. the recent episode of Doctor Who. It still makes sense in yeah, itself. Yeah, it still makes sense yeah. within the context of the individual story of the individual mm-hmm. series, where it becomes problematic, I think, are things like with the current Marvel stuff, where mm-hmm. a story starts on one show and finishes on another. And the, the timeline, the Torchwood Doctor Who timeline is interesting too because even though they technically are happening at the same time, I mean, the Doctor's travelling backwards and forwards through time, so it doesn't really matter when he shows up, if he, which he never does. Torchwood's the only one of the three where he never appears in the show. It's yeah. the other way around. Captain Jack appears in Doctor Who after Torchwood has begun. And that's quite interesting, but it, it's also they never intersect in real time. Like some really big stuff goes down in Doctor Who for, that affects the whole planet... And apart from, you know, appearing in a few scenes in Doctor Who, it's never really referenced or referred to in Torchwood. So moving on to uh, something I mentioned before. Ianto makes coffee, not tea, an important <laughs> distinction, not a question. <laughs> we have the best audience. <laughs> moving on, though, the question says, to what extent do you think Torchwood's movement from BBC Three to BBC Two to BBC One to Stars across its four seasons accounts for the dramatic tonal differences between each season? Oh, good point, yeah. Because they all do... Like, you, there is... And, I, like, I don't know that I've seen enough different shows to really have a handle on what it is, but you do get a distinct, different kind of feel from the sorts of shows that seem like they go on each of those networks. We don't quite have the same thing in Australia because ABC1, ABC2, ABC3 are much more recent inventions and they also have very broad niches. It's like, well, if you make a children's show, it's probably going to go on what is now called ABC Me but was ABC3 or ABC4 for kids, you know, depending on the age group. But with the BBC channels, BBC1 and BBC2 have always had this sort of very different demographic that they seem to be pitching towards. So I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Oh, I think it's, it's definitely a factor. I mean, each um, channel has its own house style and if you're a writer and producer, you'd be ex- you're expected to keep to house style. So, mm. um, you know, and then each show has its own internal sort of logic. So marrying those two together, sometimes that's going to work and sometimes it's not, you know. I don't think it doesn't work in Torchwood. It's, it's just noticeable. You know, mm. it's noticeable, those, those tonal shifts. Because, yeah, you know, we always talk about children of Earth, like most people always refer to it as, like, that's the weird sort of fish-out-of-water season of Torchwood that mm. doesn't feel like the others. It feels much like a very serious drama. Mm. And that's what you expect to see on BBC One. Exactly right. Yeah, and then, you know, you get Miracle Day, where there's all these, like, flashy, like, genre American <laughs> TV stars appearing in it, or even film stars, um, and then there's, like... A bit more. And guns. Uh, yeah, and just yeah, the look yeah. of it, just the colours even, you know, just the aesthetics of it. And the only other show I, I know of that comes from stars is like the, is it um, Spartacus, Blood and Sand? <laughs> yeah. Like, I've only seen like one episode of that, but I'm like, oh, I can kind of see a total similarity. <laughs> there's a lot of people with their shirts off and there's blood everywhere. Uh, okay. There's less car chases in Spartacus though. <laughs> So just quickly, a couple of comments about Torchwood. Uh, Miracle Day, I've got a comment here that basically they thought it was good but dragged in the middle and could have been shorter. Basically, if it was shorter, it would be a better series. Yep. Yeah. Take yep. that as a yeah. comment. Um, and uh, Class and possibly Torchwood saying that they, they wish they'd hired Joss Whedon to write the opener. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you, but I'm just saying that let's be realistic in what Joss Whedon can do. You know, there are limits. Moving on to Class, though, uh, some good questions. Is it just me or do they rely too much on split families... Uh, and single-parent families in class. Basically, uh, everyone's a single-parent family. Why? That's an interesting point. I mean, you, you see it in Sarah Jane as well, although, interestingly, in Sarah Jane, you see both parents for most of the families, even if they are split up. 
Um, and then obviously Sarah Jane becomes a single parent herself mm. uh, in weird circumstances. But yeah, in class, th yeah, that's true, isn't it? Because all the characters either have only one or no parents. <laughs> Uh, except Matthias, whose parents like are banded together in the united hatred, hatred of, him of him and kicking yeah. him out of the house. Um, but I mean, but single parents and, and split families—it is a very big thing in young adult and children literature. You're a, you're a children's yeah, writer. Yeah, what's what's your and, thought on that? Uh, and, and in real life, I really think it just depends on the individual experience of the individual person and the people that they know. And I'll, I'll I can contrast here between my eldest daughter and my youngest. My eldest daughter, all her friends. All their parents are still together. My youngest daughter, all her friends, most of them, most of them come from divorced families. And it was, uh, you know, they're not that far apart, so what's happened in this five years between daughter one and daughter two is everyone suddenly started to get divorced. I don't know. Yeah. But was... So I, I don't see a, a problem then coming to, to a show where all the main characters come from broken families. It doesn't strike me. Perhaps it's not about whether they're from broken families, but the tone. Because, I mean, Sarah Jane Adventures, completely different tone to class yeah. and the way yeah. that they deal with families. I mean, class is much more angst-ridden about it, basically. Um, and, and that just reflects the different demographic that they're going to. I guess there's no necessity as such that just because you've got an older teen market that it has to be angst-ridden. Mm -hmm. It could just be there. Um, yeah. Except that the issues it raises, some of them are, you know, legitimately angst -worthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, for me, I never find it unusual when this happens in TV shows because that's part of my experience, like, growing up. Although, interesting, I grew up in a country town where my parents were, like, you know, my, my, I had a stepfather and I was, like, the only one I knew whose parents were not, you know, my biological parents still married together to each other. Um, and it was... Yeah, it just seemed natural. So I was watching class going, yeah, I recognise some of my family in mm -hmm. that and in that and in this and in that and from all the different, like, families. But I think one of the interesting and important things about class is kind of like Sarah Jane Adventures, the relationships between those parents are all different and where they've ended, they've ended for different reasons. Like, one of, one of them is, you know, the, the father's died, like, Tanya's father's dead. Um, you know, you've got um, family violence and alcoholism mm -hmm. in April's family. Um, and you've got, um, well, obviously, and Charlie's parents both died in, in a war, effectively. Um, and Ram, you know, actually, I don't remember what happens to Ram's mum because his, you never see her, but she's, it's implied that she is around. She's just, you just never meet her. So they, there are two of them, but then his dad gets violently murdered <laughs> in the manner of class. And, um, and so that's going to be an interesting dynamic if they get a second season. Obviously, I think they're going to have to introduce his mum as a character. Um, you know, and then there's also what happens to Tanya's mum, because that's horrible. Uh, there's just basically a lot of horrible things happen in class if you haven't seen <laughs> yeah. it. Mostly people's parents dying. Um, a lovely comment here about class. I just really like this. It's quite zen. Having a season two would make season one better. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually quite good. So, you know, the characters will be more developed. And I think it's true. We were talking in the break about how season one of Buffy isn't that great, mm -hmm. but Buffy becomes so great that season one is retrospectively improved because it is part of the journey. Mm. They've got a lot the of setup in that first season of, of class, and perhaps too much material. We've been talking about this as well. Like it's really two seasons in one. The the the, 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 the pacing isn't well. From my mind, the pacing isn't quite right. That, that and it's quite a it. short season too. Like well, they don't have is, a lot yeah. of episodes. They've to been do very stuff ambitious with. in what they've tried to squeeze into those few episodes. Yeah, because it's only eight episodes long. 
Like, you get to the end of it and you go, how can there only be eight episodes? So many things happened. And I, when you get to episode six and there's that bottle episode I was talking about before and you have all these complex interactions between the characters, I think that shows a lot of growth. So I, I, I don't understand people who think the characters are not developed. They just develop too quickly. They're, well, that's a good point. They, they develop too much in too <laughs> short a period. Yeah. I, I do feel like there's a thing in television generally at the moment. I mentioned the other day that um, you know future archaeologists will look back at this time and think, why did every TV show had one image of five people badly photoshopped together in a line? <laughs> like every single image for every TV show now is five people photoshopped together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why don't we do shows about three people? Like, why don't we reduce yeah, the numbers and, well, and allow those characters to breathe a little bit more? Sarah Jane is only ever four. Yeah, and I think there's, there's more room in there for doing more. Another comment from Fraser, which boils down to get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> now, another question about class. On Galactic Suburbia and Verity, Tansy Rayner Roberts, bless her. Friend of the podcast. Hi, Tansy. Hi, I know you're listening. She's pointed out similarities between Krill and Avon from Blake 7. She's essentially an anti-hero who's somewhat reluctantly doing good or fighting for a good cause. Do you agree? Can you think of any other female anti-heroes in this mould? P.S. I agree with Ben. I love class. Yes! <laughs> and I think that's because I think she is in very much the Capaldi Doctor. I love the Capaldi Doctor. He is just one of my absolute favourite doctors. That first series where he just hates everyone is, is bliss to me. I love that series so much. He's just Get like my you, John. Yeah, he's just like me. I finally someone I can relate to on television. And... And Quill, I had the same thing. There's an episode where, um, where, where Other Gay shows up at the door. I wish you'd use the real names, Ben. It's really Mateus. annoying. No, other, no, the real names. Other Gay shows up at the door. And she basically said, like, is it something important or is it teenage angst? <laughs> and I just love that so much because that's, yeah. And it is hard to think of another female character in that particular kind of... Mm. Oh, Aaron Sonnen. Farscape, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. She is, she's, like, just fed up. She's just like, I've been fighting this war so long. You guys, what do you... You come along, you think you're doing better than me? Shut up. Actually, I just had a really weird vision of... of uh, suddenly thought, hey, do you know who is a bit like that character? Remember that one we created in that audio <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We all created a character who was that character. Didn't we? Because so that is... character didn't exist in the world. Oh. But yeah, there were so few characters. We invented Anastasia Black because we wanted to have a character who could say, oh, for God's sake, you're just ridiculous. And just, you know, <laughs> be the hero. And it was funny how there's not a lot of that. Yeah, Erin Sonder, that's a, that's a good pick. I think I agree, yeah, she's, she's a bit like that. She's just, yeah, she's just like a grizzled veteran. She's <laughs> just like, whatever. <laughs> One of my biggest issues with Doctor Who lately is there are no consequences. We're talking about consequences and, and class. No to, not to death, not to a stupid choice. It's nice to see a, a quasi-Who-like show can do it. Why can't Who show consequences? Oh, well, see, I have a theory about this. It goes all the way back to when we were thinking about the reboot of the, the show because I think Doctor Who's like a... It's a travelling show. Like, it's, in, it's part of that tradition of shows, like, to pick some weird examples, but, like, the fugitive, like, uh, the Hulk like Quantum Leap, like The Littlest Hobo, right? (laughs) Where the protagonist shows up, solves a problem, and then buggers off somewhere else to have a completely different adventure. Also Cowboys. Cowboys. Rides town, fix up, then then bugger off elsewhere. Same thing. And I think that's why you don't see as many consequences because the Doctor Who by its very nature is about travelling to different places in time and space and having very vari- like a varied adventures in different contexts. And if you take your emotional baggage with you, it's very difficult to start a whole new yeah. story. We did talk but, once about how the companions should all basically have post-traumatic stress disorder, but you can't really put that in a family <laughs> show and make it work. And, and yet, um, New Who, there is 
quite often the talk of the doctor avoiding consequences. So they, they almost, like, bring that up as, you know, mm. like, you get it. to do this and then run off without seeing mm. what will happen afterwards. And... Uh, I think during the Moffat era, we actually got a little bit of the, well, here are the consequences. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the whole thing of um, uh, the, uh, the Demon's Run episode, where there are consequences to his arrogance and his belief that he's, he's got the power to fix it. Yeah, and I think, look, Capaldi's time has had a bit of that as well. I mean, like, what happens to, to Danny Pink is a little bit related yeah. to that. Um, and also what happens to Clara, although that's more consequences for her decisions and how she's choosing to behave. Or, or influenced by him, of course. But it is interesting, it can, it can be done. Yeah, you can yeah. put in consequences across at least one season, perhaps. Yeah, but it's well, harder so. to extend them further than that. But you can raise the issue of him running away from consequences, and that's you get more of that these days. Making a point that he doesn't make do goodbyes, that he doesn't hang around, yeah. you know, like that is made a, a and plot that's, point. Yeah, because that's that was never really addressed in the classics. No, no, you never really heard no. that being no. overtly mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he never, he almost never revisited relationships in the in the classic series, except for like you know an anniversary special. It was never the case that you know he met up with Sarah Jane and they had a deep conversation about what happened. It wasn't that sort of show. One of my favourite moments from the Sarah Jane series was in the death of the Doctor, where Joe Grant shows up and how heartbroken she oh, is yeah. that the Doctor came back to visit Sarah, Sarah multiple times, multiple times, and but never not came back to her. her. And I thought. Yeah, no. that is a, a really has, amazing moment in that. He's, show. It makes total sense, though. I think that's the other nice thing about it is he's like, "Well, what did you expect? You were like traveling down the Amazon in a hat box. Like I couldn't find you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't have a phone number or a forwarding address. And you're like, oh yeah, even if you're a time lord, like you got to know where to look for someone. Um, well, so it was quite good. On Sarah Jane, this one, someone said, "As a parent, I definitely say Sarah Jane Adventures worked as a family show." And then there are three here which are all very similar, but I want to kind of read them all out as one. So what plot point? slash mention of something would you like to have seen expanded upon from one or more of the spin-offs? Connected to that, Sarah and K-9 got two shots at spin-offs. Pick another classic series companion. You wish had their own spin-off. That's from Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. And I just want to read this one out. Who would be your own spin-off companion? The Doctor's daughter. Like, who would you pick? That's from the Bendigo Whovians. I live in Bendigo now. I'm so thrilled the Bendigo Whovians are here. Um, you'll find, you can find the Bendigo Whovians online. So, let's, so basically, what would you like to see expanded from the spin-offs and what would you pick from the classic series to have its own spin-off? What, what leaps to mind? So, so what, like, what thing that happened would you like to see explained in a spin-off and what character would well, we like, like to see spin-off? What happened in a spin-off that you would like to see expanded upon? What, what point in a spin-off? Oh, uh, in a spin-off. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of asking for two shows, I think. I want you to give me one show from the classic series that didn't happen and one, maybe a spin-off from a spin-off that you... Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Quill. Adventures of Quill, absolutely. I would like to see more of Quill. I'd like to see her do more. I think, you know, leave those bloody kids behind. They don't even have names. Just <laughs> move on. <laughs> so annoyed right now. <laughs> <laughs> From the original series, yeah, obviously I've always been a huge fan of Tegan, so a show in which Tegan just gets annoyed at people would be enough. <laughs> yeah, what is, what is um, Like Sarah The Office, Jane? like The Office, but with <laughs> Tegan in it. You know, and you know what it'd be? It'd be like, you know, like a non-governmental organisation, because in Sarah Jane Adventures, she gets that mention at the end of the episode... Um, I think it's the same episode that the Brigadier is in, and at the end she talks about all the other companions and how. Oh no, it's the end of the one where it's the end of the Death of the Doctor after they've met Joe, and she says, "Yeah, I tracked down a whole bunch oh, yeah. of people who, know, who knew him to find find out what they've been up to, including Tegan, who was, of course, it was weird because it was like, what can we think of that's Australian? Um, <laughs> she's working for Aboriginal rights. And you're like, 
yeah, white person's working for the Aboriginal right? Good, but think oh, about that some more. Um, that would be great. Tegan works for like NAIDOC week or something. <laughs> Organising stuff and talking down to Aboriginal people who are trying to point out she's wrong. <laughs> so rather than the character spin-off, and we were talking before about location, what because I originally I thought, God, I'd love to see more of Jamie's legs. But <laughs> then I thought, what if the show was the mind robber? as a location, and then all of these different companions from Hooniverse and all of the spin-off shows just visit... The land of fiction, so yeah. they could all... Yeah, and it's like how they differently deal with the How the meta puzzles. would that be, too? I know, right? <laughs> That's, That's my good. brain. <laughs> I was just trying to think what cool things could they put in it now that are in the public domain that weren't then, and I'm like, oh, they keep changing copyright laws yeah. so that doesn't happen. Damn. <laughs> Joy me, what would you like to see as a spin-off? Brigadier the Young Years. Oh. <laughs> Actually, there is a series of spin-off books, the Lethbridge Stewart books, that are um, set prior to the formation of Unit. Oh, there you go. It's been I've read the first two. They're they're actually read quite good. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. What, what yeah. spin-off would you like from the from the series? I, I would have liked to have seen the further adventures of Barbara and Ian. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, John's yeah. happy with that one. Um, I do love me some Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. I reckon Barbara was such a terrific character. I would have yeah. I reckon the two of them, as university professors, solving mysteries yeah. <laughs> in some little, um, you know, yeah. The weird that thing is that would work me. now, though, wouldn't it? I could actually see mm. that doing a show now, mm. you know, in which you have a Barbara and Ian, you don't even have to say, they don't even spell it out. They're just these two... It always been like a like a sapphire and steel thing. These two sort of oh, I see, because school I love teachers, sapphire and steel, yeah, so with yeah. a slightly yeah. weirdly mysterious past. It's like, mm. what do you mean you've travelled through time and space? I don't understand. <laughs> this is 1966. I, like I, I feel another audio series coming. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> could, could happen. We can file those serial numbers right off. Um, <laughs> I look. There's some really cool characters who I don't necessarily who you know their departure kind of suggests that they go off and have some really cool adventures. And I think any of those would be great. Like people like like Romana or like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know they've done this, some of this stuff in the audios, but, you know, what is... You know, there's that, there's... Um, like the Doctor's Daughter. I actually think the Doctor's, doctor's Daughter would be quite interesting. Yeah. I'd love to actually see what Clara and um, me or whatever name she was going with at the end of the series oh, are God, up no, to. no, she died. Let her die. She's Call had it. too many goddamn comebacks. <laughs> She's the John Farnham of Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just needed to take the pressure down. <laughs> and the hits keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, there are the, the Paternoster gang, for example. Yes! Look, look, look yes, like support, they were heading support, for a spin yes, It's they been rumoured so many times. They could have worked. Mm. Yeah. What, would that, what do we think that show would have been like? Like, what would the tone of it been? Like, because I kind of... It, it feels like Cozy it would have ended up... mysteries. Yeah. Or... Like a Sherlock kind of yeah. thing? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, well, look, that's certainly what they're going for in... Just um... with a lizard woman and a potato man. Yeah. And, and, and probably with a steampunk touch to it, I imagine, mm. they yeah. would have gone for as well. Yeah. So. Well, this is actually... this That touches on something. One of the things I noticed in Sarah Jane Adventures is that I felt they did a really good job of capturing the essence of the various Doctor Who things that they brought in. Mm. Like, the Selene are exactly like they are in you know, the original Doctor Who appearance, but just a bit better. And then when they have a Sontaran in the Sarah Jane Adventures, they don't make fun of him for looking like a potato. Like, one of the kids calls him a potato head, but he, 
like nearly kills them all like mm. repeatedly and he's got a plan there's one of them and he's got a plan to blow the whole planet up that seems very credible and threatening and you're like this is the I remember when Sontarans weren't a joke yeah this is cool <laughs> so I think I thought that was really interesting and some of that stuff um, maybe they could have done yeah with the Pedernoster gang because they were a bit you know quippy and Moffaty, if I could use that as, a, <laughs> as an adjective. But, um, but I think, yeah, I think there's real promise there. Uh, and the final question from the box. Can we have a Capaldi Splendid Chaps, please? Says Lisa. Well, look, Yeah, I think look, we, we would like to do one. I, mean, I, I mm. love Capaldi. Okay, look, we're running out of time, so let's very quickly... Uh, there are many other spin-offs we haven't mentioned. Um, favourite other spin-offs we have not mentioned, George? Oh, I don't know that I've got a favourite one. I, I wanted to mention Downtime simply because it is so bloody awful! It's... <laughs> I was just... Because, I, you know, I'd heard about Downtime and uh, it was one of the ones produced by Real Time Pictures. They did a whole string of sort of spin-offs taking characters from from Doctor Who without ever mentioning video Doctor Who. Yeah, direct in, video. In so the they 90s? did things like Deimos Rising with the demons and they did a bunch of unit um, stuff and all that. Anyway, so Downtime, it has Nicholas Courtney in it. It has um, Elizabeth Sladen in it. Uh, you know, it um, uh, it brings back the Yeti and, and all of this sort of stuff and you're thinking, my God, this is going to be good and then it finally gets released on DVD and I rush off and I buy it and I watch it and it's dreadful. <laughs> it is up. Appalling crud in every way, shape and form. It is so poorly written, so poorly directed, so poorly acted. It is utter tripe. And I just... Just breathe. breathe. Because I just... I felt cheated. I felt... Did you have a shower? Yes, I did. It's like... You know, Nicholas Courtney, Elizabeth Slate, what were you thinking? Have you seen the Zygon one that was made by a soft porn company? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm... I'm I, I, for, I for reference I, for the podcast, George nearly fell off his chair then. I, there I is, am there is more equally out there. intrigued and yes. repulsed uh, yeah, by I that I think concept. it might be Zygon and it's out there for you to find and enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, that's, yeah. that's intriguing. Ah, that's amazing. Joy, me, do you have any particular... The 1981 K9 and Company with Elizabeth Sladen. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I watched that yesterday and I really liked it again. Yeah, yeah. and if, I mean, if only for the funky electronica 80s oh, the theme tune is wonderful and part of me wishes that they'd brought that back for Sarah Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and the specially filmed open opening credits with Elizabeth Staley looking utterly bemused and blank in one direction. It's an attempt to make it like... Bemused and blank in the other direction with a glass of wine. It's like heart to heart, isn't it? They're trying to make this sort of heart to heart between, you know, Sarah Jane and a robot dog. And there's one bit where K-9 is on a a stone wall. wall. You're like, how'd you get up there? How'd you get there? What are you doing? There's there's one great bit where where they, uh, I think they're they're going out to um, interrupt the satanic rites that are happening in the the middle of uh, English countryside. (laughs) And um, she's got to get K-9 out of the car and it's pretty much like taking a sewing machine out of your car with a, a, a little handle up the top and bringing him down to the ground. It's beautiful. So you can see why they made him fly when they did the new one, can't you? <laughs> but yeah, no, but I, like, I agree with you. I really liked it. I, I like the montage at the start because it's actually just different Sarah Jane hair. <laughs> 
And did you did you not notice this? I was too mesmerised by her blank no, looks. No, it, it's hair and wine, hair and wine. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 sometimes it's slightly curled, and other times it's not. And it's, yeah, it's just different hairstyles. No, no, no. So you missed the point no, of I it. Mi- I missed the hairstyle. <laughs> I'm sorry. I fixated on the blank looks, and and I also kept wondering whether it was Shardy or Sad Blanc. <laughs> Personal she, interests. <laughs> I was going to say she also got like her own um, her own spin audio spin off before they did the TV yes, show, which was actually uh, really interesting. One of the things, I think, something we haven't brought up about Sarah Jane Adventures that I just want to address is when they brought the character back for Doctor Who and then they did the, her own series. One of the things I hated most about it was this implication that she did nothing mm. with her oh, life in between. Yeah, I didn't, didn't like that. When she no. was, ad- and nobody likes that, and it's really easy to forget because when she gets back into the swing of it, it's like it feels like you've been doing this forever. Mm. But the the audio spin-off for Sarah Jane, she was not like that. She no. was like still investigating weird happenings and doing stuff and solving mysteries. It was great. I think we just all choose to forget that particular yeah. Yeah, thing yeah, because yeah, it's just it does not fit with her character whatsoever. No, uh, not not by any. Not before and not after. It's just kind of this weird blip in the middle that we all just pretend doesn't happen. Absolutely. Ben, your favourite other spin-offs? Oh, it's really hard, but I think probably... And I brought this along... Show and tell on the podcast. Um, <laughs> probably my, one of my favourite all-time spin-offs is Absalom Dark Dalek Killer. Um, and it, it... Which, like, no, I don't know why anyone would think this was my favourite. Um, because it's about a guy who just has a gun and a chain sword... Yes, that's a chain sword. <laughs> As uh, you do. Who is an, an ex-criminal convicted of really heinous actual crimes like murder and sexual assault. And you're like, this is our protagonist. But then he just slaughters a whole bunch of Daleks, um, redeems himself by making a bunch of new alien friends and going, I'm going to kill every damn Dalek in the galaxy. And it's like the opposite of Doctor Who. Um, so he's harnessing his murderous pur- purpose for good and not evil. Yeah, yeah. So if, he, if they did Absalom Dark Dalek Killer but with a woman, then it would be amazing. <laughs> with Quill. With Quill. With Quill, yeah. With Quill. Yeah. Oh. She gets convicted of her crimes against, you know, Charlie's people and gets yeah. sent off somewhere to kill Oh, Daleks. I was so watching that. That's awesome. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I was going to mention Iris Wildtime just because she's a really interesting character yeah. who originates from the books, and I can't remember which series of books. The then, BBC Eighth Doctor Adventures. Uh, then migrates over to Big Finish Audio where she's played by Katie Manning, who played Joe Grant. And there is even an audio in which Joe Grant and Iris Wildtime <laughs> team up. And it's just such a weird kind of... So many levels. You know, it's just a very odd thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I love it, but I like the fact that it exists. Petra, did you have any any fun? No, but I was thinking back more on what... I would like to see happen in terms of spin-off and I would love to see River Song and what she got up to in between visiting the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a couple of nods in the crowd, but, yeah, you know, yeah. she's so, my girl. I'd watch like that, absolutely. There are mm. some audios a little bit like that mm. called the Diaries of River Song, although they do tend to involve the Doctor a lot still. So Yeah, she no, I want to know what she's doing without the Doctor. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So has to pass the Bechdel test. You've got to have a River Song without mentioning the Doctor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's pretty much because, yeah, we are, as always, we are running out of time. We're running through time and back through time. (laughs) Through and out of... Back into... So thank you so much all for joining us for the the first of these in in many years. And can you please thank our guests, George Ivanov and Joey Baker. So once again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for taking part in Splendid Chaps. To take us out for this episode, it is our own awesome Petra Elliott. 
Backed with a fantastic Cam Stevens, they will be performing Up All Night by Alex Clare, which is the theme tune from class. And until next we meet, in the words of the final words of the first Doctor, thank, thank you. you. It's, it's good. good. Keep, Keep warm. to Splendid Chaps. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Chaps, Dr. Joni Baker, George Ivanoff, and on guitar, Cam Stevens. 
Your hosts were Ben McKenzie, John Richards, and me, Petra Elliott. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. Find out more about Splendid Chaps Productions, including the original time travel comedy Night Terrace and the Terry Pratchett book club podcast, Pratchett, at SplendidChaps.com. Or follow us as Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter.